Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Feeling good? What the, isn't our worship team amazing? They're just awesome. You guys at every campus are amazing. Love and appreciate you. Speaking of our campuses, welcome to Grovetown. Welcome to South Campus. Uh, welcome to those watching online. I love that, that in different places we can gather together as one church family and that God provides the tech to make it happen. And we are thrilled that you're here from wherever you're watching. It's a great time to be at the Creek. We're in our Hero Series. It's a big week at the Creek. We're getting ready to send hundreds of teenagers to youth camp. We got people taking off work to volunteer and go be with our, our youth. It's going to be an amazing week. Uh, we're praying and cheering for Pastor Drew Williams as he leads his first camp here at the Creek. And it's just going to be a big time. Yeah, so let's give a hand to our youth because it's going to be a big week. God's going to do big things. He always does when our youth are at camp. Speaking of camp, did you hear what the dad buffalo said to his son buffalo when he dropped him off for camp? Bison. It's a... It's, so dumb. It's a, it's a dumb joke. You don't have to laugh at that. You really don't have to. All right. <laughs> I got the worst dad jokes. And, uh, you know, I just love making my children groan in embarrassment. And so that's what I'm going for with jokes like that. But we really are excited about what God's going to do at camp this week. And so thank you in particular to, to those who are volunteering to go. It's going to be a big week. Now, we're in our hero series, which means every week we're looking at Scripture and looking at a hero from Scripture and what we can learn from their life and how we can emulate some of their faith to live that out in our own lives. And to set up our hero today, I'm going to tell you a story uh, that happened to me about 15 years ago, because I think this actually sets up our hero pretty well. So 15 years ago, we were moving to Augusta for the first time. And for some reason, I had to go to the water company in person to turn the water on. I'm not sure if you still have to do that, but back then I did. And so I went to the water company and I waited my turn and I finally got to go back to this cubicle of this very sweet lady who was gonna help me turn my water on. And I sat down at her cubicle and I looked around and like every inch of her cubicle was decked out in Elvis Presley memorabilia, like Elvis Presley clocks and posters. And on her computer, you could hear like music playing and it was Elvis and she had a button on that was Elvis's face, and it said, the king is alive, all right? So, so she's doing her thing, and I said the worst thing I possibly could have said. I was just trying to make conversation, and I said, so, you're an Elvis fan, and she just started talking. She talked about his song. She talked about the time she was a teenager and went to his concert, and then she talked to me for a good 10 minutes about how he was still alive and, uh, and how she'd had a friend who'd seen him like from a distance in Hawaii a few years ago and how like she just hoped that, he, that he's happy. And, and I'm thinking to myself, lady, Elvis has been dead for a long time and apparently you've been crazy for a long time. But I didn't say that because I wanted my water turned on. So I'm just smiling and nodding like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, Elvis, that's great. Uh, yeah, he's alive. It's so cool. And, uh, and then I'm trying to wrap up the conversation. And so I'm just trying to agree with her. And I said, yeah, you know, Elvis is the king. And then she said, you know, it's funny you should say that. And then she starts telling me a story, and, and I'm internally rolling my eyes like, not another Elvis story. But this story is one I'm actually glad she told me because it helps set up what we're going to talk about today. So here was her story. She goes, I went to this Elvis concert, 
and I was a teenager, and it was amazing. It was magical. And at this concert, there was this other group of teenagers, and they'd made this huge banner, and this huge banner said, Elvis Presley is the king of kings. And Elvis saw that banner, and he stopped the concert, and he said, now listen to me, now listen. There's a banner out there says Elvis Presley is the king of kings. I'm here to tell you that's not true. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. Uh-huh. That's what he said. So, and I apologize for that terrible Elvis impression. He had to suffer through a dad joke already. Elvis was too much. But that's what she said. She told me the story. And I thought, you know, that's a good story. And I'm not saying we need to elevate Elvis to the statue of, of heroes of the faith. You know, I'm, I am saying that that moment was a moment of heroic faith because any time that we take praise and we take the worship and, and we take all that, that admiration, an unhealthy amount of admiration that people want to put on us, and we can use that opportunity to point them to the true king, Jesus Christ, then that is a moment of authentic faith. And the hero we're going to look at today did that over and over in his life, maybe more so than anybody else. The hero's name was John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And he came on the scene and everybody thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was the king. They thought he was the one who'd come to save them. And over and over and over again, instead of receiving that praise and receiving that worship and building up a big name for himself, he said, it's not me, but let me point you to who it really is, Jesus Christ is the king of kings. And that was his mission, and that's what he did, and he did it so effectively. So we're gonna look at his story today. Before we do, just to kind of set up this whole series as we've been doing each week, um, we're learning this principle, that any of us can be a hero, and here's why. A hero is someone who courageously follows God and guides others to do the same, which means you don't have to be a superhero, you don't have to be a great athlete, a great singer, you don't have to do any of those things. You could admire people that have those skills, but that's not what a true hero is. A true hero is someone who follows Jesus with courage and authenticity and then guides others to do the same because that's a life that will have an eternal impact. Scripture says it this way, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the examples of their faith. In other words, if you want heroes to celebrate, think of the people who taught you God's word, who prayed for you, who volunteered at youth camp with you, who modeled for you, not a perfect life because only Jesus is perfect, but an authentic faith that caused you to want to follow Jesus too. John the Baptist did this so effectively. He was imperfect. In fact, he had a very public moment of doubt that was recorded in scripture, but he did a really unique job and a great job of living out his faith with authenticity and pointing people to Jesus every chance that he got. Here's something that Jesus himself said about John to kind of set up John's story. Jesus said this, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So there's a lot happening in those two sentences. First sentence, Jesus is saying, of everybody who's ever lived up to this point, of all the heroes we've looked at, of, of, of Moses and Esther and all these great heroes of the faith, none of them have been greater than that homeless preacher over there, John. So that makes me want to learn more about John, that what made him so great. But then the second part of this, this verse, Jesus throws a curveball. He says, but whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. So what Jesus is saying here is Jesus is pointing to himself as the true Savior, saying, I'm the only one who is perfect, and I've come to save everyone and usher in a new kingdom, God's kingdom. 
And because I'm bringing in God's kingdom, I'm going to pay the price on the cross for all of the sins of the world. And when you put your hope and faith in me, it makes you right in God's eyes. It makes you free. It makes you redeemed, adopted into God's family. And now when God the Father looks at you, once you put your faith in Christ, no matter where you've been or what you've done, you could be the worst of all the Christians. But once you put your faith in Jesus, God doesn't look at you and see your flaws anymore. He sees perfection He sees what Jesus has done for you. He sees his son. So Jesus is saying by putting your faith in in Christ, we're now, in God's eyes, better than the best person who'd ever lived up to that point. Because it has to be, we have to be perfect to get into heaven. None of us can get there on our own. Jesus did it for us. And when we put our faith in him, we can be made perfect in God's eyes. And that's, that's the good news of the kingdom. Jesus has done all the work. But John still has a a lot that we can look to as just an imperfect human like us who carried out his mission so well and so effectively. So before we dive into his story in scripture, here's kind of a a recap of his story. Now, the Bible is divided into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is everything that happened before Jesus. And in the Old Testament, God primarily spoke to his people through prophets, and prophets were regular guys who God picked to carry messages from him to the people. Now, once Jesus came, Jesus made it possible for us to now communicate through Christ directly to God. Like, we, we, there's, there's, there's no reason to go through anybody else. God doesn't need to do what he did in the past because now we have access to God through his word and through our relationship with Jesus. But at this time in history, people were used to prophets, and there had not been a prophet in 400 years. There was a long gap between the end of the Old Testament and Jesus coming on the scene to begin the New Testament, the New Testament and the, the New Kingdom. Now, John, John was a prophet, the first prophet in 400 years. In fact, when we look at the birth story of Jesus, an angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to have God's son, the savior of the world. Finally, the prophecies are coming true. It's all happening. You've been chosen. And it's a beautiful story. But that story actually begins with an angel visiting somebody else to tell them about a pregnancy. Before the angel came to Mary, the angel visited Zechariah, who was the father of John. The angel said, Zechariah, you and your wife Elizabeth, you're you're old, you've you've been barren, you've prayed for a kid, it's never happened, but God's going to give you a child. Not a miraculous virgin birth like Mary's going to have, it'll be a natural child, a regular kid, but God's got a really unique plan for this child. He's going to be a prophet. He's going to be the one that the the prophets talked about in the Old Testament that's going to prepare the way for the Lord, that's going to get people ready for the arrival of Jesus. And God's got a really unique plan for your son's life. And so Elizabeth became pregnant with John at the same time that Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And one of the, the coolest scenes in scripture, I think, is Mary goes to visit her cousin, because Elizabeth and Mary are cousins, her older cousin Elizabeth, and the very first person the Bible records that ever worshipped Jesus, that ever celebrated the presence of Jesus, was John the Baptist while he was still in his mother's womb. The Bible paints a very clear picture that while he's still a child in his mother's womb, senses the presence of Jesus approaching and celebrates and worships. And the Bible records him as the first worshiper of Jesus. And it began a lifelong bond, really an eternal bond, as these two earthly cousins were going to have really a lot to do with one another's story, as John's mission was going to be to help get people ready 
for Jesus and to let people know that he himself, John, was not the Savior, but he was going to point them to who the Savior really was. So let's look at a few of the things that John did in his life that made him a hero of faith and what we can learn from his example. So number one, John chose to follow the path God had for him. All of us in our lives, we've got decisions every day. Can I, am I going to follow the path God has for me, the path he's laid out in Scripture, or am I going to rebel against it? And since we're all sinners, we all have that urge to rebel and to do things our own way and say, God, you don't know what's best for me. I'm going to do something else. But John chose to follow the path that God had for him. Luke chapter 1, John's father speaking to him what had been foretold about, about his life. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us and give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. John could have said, listen, I know that like God said that this is what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to do something else. I'm going to just do something else with my life. But instead, John received that instruction from his father, passed on to him from, from what God had said. He said, you know what? I'm going to receive that mission, and I'm going to do my very best to live it out. And my life's going to look different as a result. And his life did look very different. And he went out into the wilderness to just unplug from all of the distraction and temptation of the world. And that's where he really got right with God. And then that's ultimately where he started to carry out his ministry. And people started coming to him in the wilderness to hear his preaching and to hear his messages. Just to kind of help bring some humanity, humanity to John and help you picture what this might have looked like. I want to show you a clip from a show, The Chosen, which is about the life of Jesus. But in this particular clip, Jesus isn't present. This is a conversation between John the Baptist, who's in prison at the time, which happened to him several times in his life. Uh, and he's having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is recorded in the Bible uh, as a religious leader of the Jews who was really interested in what Jesus had to say. In fact, the most famous words in the Bible, John 3, 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Those words from Jesus weren't preached from a mountaintop. They were spoken in a one-on-one -on -one conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, this religious leader, as Jesus is trying to explain to him what it really means that he's come to be the savior of the world and the Messiah. So Nicodemus is in this place of really searching and he's talking with John, and this short conversation can kind of give you a glimpse into the heart of John and his ministry and his excitement to see Jesus step into that public role as the Savior of the world. So let's watch this together. I saw it myself. They jeered at me from inside her mouth. Nothing could be done for her short of a miracle. And she won't say who restored her. He did not reveal his name to her. What? What? It has begun. What has? If he's healing in secret now, the public signs cannot be far off. Public signs? What? You know him? You can say that. What's his name? Who has ascended into heaven and come back down? I asked his name. Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Don't quote Solomon to me, you wild mongrel. Who has wrapped up the waters 
Covenant government. Finish. No, you answer me first. Teacher of Israel. Finish the oracle of Agur, son of Jekyll. Who has established all the ends of the earth? What, what is his name and what is the name of his son? Surely you know. You are careless with Torah. God does not have a son except Israel. Israel is his only son. All of us. Suit yourself. You know, they'll put a man to death for blasphemy like that. Who will? You. It'd be a terrible precedent for Rome to adjudicate. I should never have come here. All your life you've been asleep. Make straight the way for the king. He is here to awaken the earth. But some will not want to waken. They're in love with the dark. I wonder which one you'll be. Now, if this man is anything like you believe, or if he exists at all, you should leave this region. Your presence alone puts him in danger. If you think he needs my help, you've heard nothing. So John was filled with joy when he realized Jesus was finally on the scene. What else did John do? John did this. John removed worldly distractions so he could stay focused on his God-given calling. Here's a picture of what he was actually doing in his own ministry. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. And his message was this, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said this, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. So, so John was kind of a wild man, right? Most of the religious leaders of the day, they hung out at the temple and they wore these long flowing religious robes and, and they spoke with eloquence. And then John was this wild-eyed, long-haired preacher out in the wilderness who was eating bugs and honey and whatever he can find and people were just flocking to him. And his message was that they needed to turn from their sins and the kingdom of heaven was coming and the savior was coming and then they would repent of their sins, which means they would admit that they'd been wrong and that they wanted to do things different and follow God, and he would baptize them in the Jordan River. In fact, Jesus himself, to begin his own public ministry, came to John to be baptized, not because he himself had any sin. In fact, John said, I shouldn't baptize you. You're sinless. But Jesus said, but this is how it is intended to be. This, it must be this way. John baptized Jesus. God's the Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son, and who I'm well pleased, listen to him. And it was this, this powerful moment where the, the earthly public ministry of Jesus, our Savior, really truly began. But up until that point, people were thinking, maybe John is the Messiah, maybe he's the one. And they're flocking out into the wilderness. I think there's something inside of us that still craves some wilderness, especially now. Like we live in a time when life is so busy and it's so crazy and it's so chaotic that there's no silence in our days anymore. Like we've got phones on us all the time and we've got so many things competing for our attention. But 
we don't get away and unplug that much. We don't take a Sabbath, a day of rest. We, we don't shut off the devices. And I'm preaching to myself here too. It's so easy to live so distracted that there's not enough silence built into our day for us to really connect with God. But it's something that we need. Even back then, before there were smartphones, before there were TVs, there was a draw to get away from all of the distraction. Jesus began his ministry by going out into the wilderness for 40 days just to pray to reconnect with the Father, to disconnect from the things of the world. John, when he started his ministry, he went out into the wilderness, disconnected from the world to reconnect with God. And people went out there to to hear the message. And there's still that pull. There's still a draw to, to disconnect. Now, some people take that pull to the absolute extreme. About 20 years ago, a guy took that pull into the wilderness to an extreme, and his story kind of captured the imagination of a lot of folks. The young man's name was Christopher McCandless. Here's his picture. He graduated from Emory University and came from a really affluent family. But after, right after he graduated college, he just became so disillusioned with all of just the chaos in the world and this, just the way the world was that he decided that he was just going to go to the wilderness. And so he disappeared, and his family didn't know where he went but he went on this pilgrimage to get as deep into the wilderness as he could get, and he made his way to Alaska, where he found an abandoned school bus in the middle of nowhere, and he lived in this abandoned school bus, and he wrote, and he, he you know, he just, he, he lived there. And then tragically, sadly, he died there, and because of everything he wrote while he was there, we have a lot of the story. And that story became a book and later a movie called This Into the Wild. It came out about 15 years ago. And after the book and the movie came out, it's, it prompted all these people from all over the world to try to make a pilgrimage to go and find this school bus and follow the same path that Christopher had followed. But it was so dangerous to get there that many people died just trying to get there. And the Alaska National Guard all the time was having to rescue people that were just trying to make this pilgrimage. In fact, this last year, the Today Show did a story of the Alaska National Guard sending a huge helicopter airlifting that bus out of there and taking it away just so people would stop risking their lives trying to get to it. And there's a lot in that story and in that book and that movie that, that is interesting and there are insights we could pull from it. But something that I take away from it is there's a natural desire in all of us to want to get away from just the chaos of the world. But there has to be, there has to be a purpose in the pulling away and that purpose has to be to reconnect with God. Because without that, we're just going to wander aimlessly in the wilderness. Without that, we're just going to end up living in a school bus in the middle of nowhere, and God has more for us than that. So yes, it's good to pull away to some extent, but the pulling away is so that we can reconnect with God and go back into the world and make a difference in the world. But if we're never pulling away, if it's always just the chaos of the world, then we're not, we're not going to be able to have the perspective God wants us to have in the busy lives that we're living and so for some of us, and myself included, I think one of the great examples we can learn from John's life is that if we really want to be in tune with what God is saying to us, what God is doing through us, then we need to unplug, maybe just us and a Bible somewhere. Like, and it doesn't have to be in the middle of Alaska, but it can just be in your own house with everything turned off and your phone turned on, do not disturb, where it's, it's time for you to just connect with God. We all need that time. We all crave that time. For some of you, it might be in nature. You know, go, go walk at the canal and, and, you know, put in some worship music and then also just have some silence built in where you're like, Lord, just speak to me. Help me to clear my head of all the clutter that's going on so I can see clearly what you're doing. 
Because God's not ever far off. But sometimes we're so busy with all the noise of the world that we don't see what he's doing. What else did John do that we can learn from? John redirected people's praise so they would praise and follow Jesus. John said this, I baptize you with water. I baptize those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who's greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his servant or even carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he was pointing the way to Jesus saying, I'm not the king, but the king is coming. John also did this. John chose to value Jesus more than any other priority or pursuit. John wasn't interested in in earthly wealth or earthly fame or any of that. He wanted to lift up the name of Jesus. The Gospel of John records it this way. And by the way, the Gospel of John wasn't written by John the Baptist. John was a common name. So Jesus had a disciple named John who was a different guy, just to make it confusing, which is part of why they called John, John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. It also doesn't mean that John the Baptist went to First Baptist Church, right? So like, We have these earthly distinctions now where we have all these different signs and denominations and all this stuff, but there was no frame of reference for that back then. There was one church, it was the people who loved and believed in Jesus. John was called John the Baptist because he baptized people, and it was really just as simple as that. So just a little bit of clarification to keep us on the same page. But the Gospel of John says this. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing near Anon, near Salim, because there was plenty of water there, and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, No one can can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. You see, at that time, like John had kind of become a celebrity of sorts, not because he was trying to be, but just because people were thinking, this could be the guy, this could be the Messiah. And he had all these followers and these people hanging out with him. And they wanted him to be the guy because they wanted to elevate their own status. So when more people start following Jesus, some of John's guys start thinking, wait a second, we're losing followers on Twitter. We're not getting nearly as many speaking invites. Like people aren't hanging out with us as much. And John is looking at them saying, guys, don't you see the whole point of everything we've been doing? It wasn't to build a following for ourselves. It was so they would follow Jesus. He's the Savior. He's the King. It was never me. It was never about fame or platform or any of those things. It was about pointing people to Jesus. And those words that he spoke there at the end, some of those powerful words in the Bible, he must become greater. I must become less. And we have that mentality, that doesn't diminish who we are. It it actually elevates who we are to our full purpose because it gets our own pride out of the way. And it's no longer about building some temporary platform for ourselves or brand for ourselves that's gonna fade so soon, but it's, it's, it's making us part of God's eternal destiny for us by realizing our identity is in him. And if we'll just kind of get our own pride out of the way, we can more clearly point people to him. You know, a a ministry friend of mine that I just feel like has done this well is a pastor 
back home in Kentucky named John Weiss, who is the lead pastor of one of the largest churches in the whole country, Southland Christian Church, where you know my parents still attend. And they've got campuses everywhere, and, and they're doing missions all over the world, and inner city missions right where they're located, helping their community in huge ways, a massively influential church. But about 17 years ago, when John took over, he took over in a unique way. He was 27 years old, and he was a, a teaching pastor there, which means like his main job was he would preach about once a month. And before that, his only job had been, he'd been a missionary in Haiti, one of the poorest countries in the world. And he'd gone there specifically just to help the poorest of the poor and to minister, you know, with, with no cameras or lights or fame, like just, just to serve. And so he'd never really led anything and he, he hadn't planned to, but unexpectedly, the lead pastor of the church, a very popular pastor, left abruptly, and now all of a sudden, this, this church has all this debt and all this turmoil, and they're not sure what to do, and one of the elders of the church calls John over to his house on a Saturday and says, hey, John, can you come over and hang out? And John's thinking like, yeah, sure, they're probably going to tell me that I don't have a job anymore because things are kind of chaotic, and so John shows up, and he's got basketball shorts on and gym shirt because he's getting ready to go to the gym. And he shows up at this house and all the elders of the church, the whole leadership team of the church is there. And he's like, man, I, I feel underdressed for this meeting. And they start talking to him and they say, listen, things are really unexpected at the church right now. And we're thinking about who the next leader should be. And I, I just, we want to ask you a question. Like, I know you've never really, you know, led, but, but you, you seem to have a heart like Jesus. And I just want to ask you this question. If, if you were the leader... And someday, years from now, looking back over your ministry, over the church, what would you want your ministry to have been about? What do you feel like is your mission statement for why you do ministry in the first place? And without hesitation, John said one sentence, and it was quoting John the Baptist. He said, he must become greater, and I must become less. And they looked at this kid wearing gym shorts and they decided right then and there that he was the guy. And for the last couple of decades, he has led so faithfully, and he's made it about that all along. He's like, he must become greater. John's not about building a big platform for himself. He's leading this huge church, but most people have never heard of him because he doesn't care about that. He is doing everything he can to point people to Jesus because Jesus is the one, the only one who can save. One final thing that John the Baptist did John lived with a focused purpose that continued to touch lives even after his death. And that's God's plan for all of us, by the way. He wants your life to not only impact people in your lifetime, but he wants your life to have a ripple effect that's touching lives long after you're in, in heaven with the Lord. And John's life certainly did that. Real quickly, though, this is how John died. He died, um, you know, not, not too much before Jesus went to the cross, but he died in, in a tragic way. He, he'd been imprisoned by Herod, the, the leader of that land at the time. And the reason why he'd been in prison is because John was preaching against Herod's marriage. Herod had stolen his own brother's wife, okay? Or his wife had left her husband for Herod, and those two guys were brothers. And that's a messy family Thanksgiving right there. That's just, that's going to be complicated. And so John's calling it out. He's like, hey, that's not the way God designed marriage. You can't steal your brother's wife. And Herod's wife got offended by this. She's like, this guy's hurting my reputation. I want you to arrest him. Well, Herod was afraid of John, so he didn't want to kill John. He was afraid because he, he felt like he really was a prophet. But he also was trying to appease his wife, so he throws Herod, uh, John the Baptist, in prison. So 
Fast forward now, Herod's throwing a party for all of his guests, you know, schmoozing his guests, being a, trying to be a political bigwig. And Herod's stepdaughter, his wife's daughter, is, is, a, is a dancer, and, and he's like, sweetie, why don't you dance for everybody? They'll love it. Do, do a dance, and if you dance, I'll give you anything you want, anything you want. He was making this big grand promise to impress his guests. So the girl does a dance, and then she asks her mom, what should I ask for? And her mom, this evil and vindictive lady, says, go tell him you want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so he sends this girl, Daddy, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And Herod is horrified, but he's too much of a coward to go back on his word in front of his guests. So he orders the senseless execution of one of the greatest people who's ever lived just to appease an evil desire. And John was killed in that way. And the Bible picks up the story of what happens next. So John was beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Jesus, in a moment of just real humanity, he's grieving the loss of his friend and his cousin and his ministry partner. And he just says, I just got to go back to the wilderness. I just need to pray. I need to, I need a moment. And he goes. But all these people who had followed John into the wilderness, at the news of John's death, they remembered what John had said. I'm not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Follow him. And these multitudes of people at the news of John's death, they followed Jesus into the wilderness. And Jesus looks out at this crowd, this crowd of people who John had preached to and, and told them about the coming Messiah. And Jesus, though he himself is hurting in his, in his human sense, he is, his heart is broken, but he has compassion. And he starts to feed this crowd by preaching to their souls and telling them how they can find salvation through him. And then he does the most famous miracle probably in all the gospels. All these people had come out into the wilderness and they were hungry and there was no Uber Eats and no Grubhub and there was nothing to get some food. And his disciples were like, how are we gonna feed these people? And Jesus looks at a little boy who'd brought his lunch and he was like, hey kid, can I, can I borrow your lunch? I wanna do something cool. And he takes that food and he supernaturally multiplies it. And he feeds 5,000 people with one kid's lunch. And that moment, that moment is a moment that really catapulted that public ministry of Jesus in a huge way. It was set in motion by the death of John. One person's faith can have a huge difference. And you don't have to be a preacher. You certainly don't have to be a superhero. You don't have to sing from a stage. You don't have to do any of those things. All we have to do is to get alone with God and say, Lord, what do you wanna do in my life? What do you wanna do through my life? Help me to be faithful right where I am to positively influence the people you've placed around me, my family, my friends, my coworkers. Help me to live with that kind of faith because that, that's the kind of life that's gonna have an eternal impact. And that's what God has for every single one of us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you've, made it possible for us to be in relationship with you through what you've done, Jesus, on the cross. Thank you for examples of people who've gone before us and lived with authentic faith, people like John, 
Help us to learn from his example and, and through our lives, point people to you, Jesus, the way that he did. I pray for everyone here. I pray for those at our Grovetown campus. I pray for those at our South campus and our Dream Center and those watching online. God, that you'd help each of us to find that unique destiny you've called us to. And that unique destiny begins with the relationship with you, Lord. So for anyone here that hasn't yet invited you in, let today be the day they say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of the way that I've lived. I repent, which means I'm turning from my old ways and I'm turning to you. Save me. Adopt me into your family. Make me the person I was meant to be and help me live my life the way you want me to live it. God, guide us as we leave this place. I pray for a special blessing on our teenagers and volunteers and, and youth directors as they go to camp this week. Let it be a time of life change and decision and people surrendering their lives to you and committing their lives to you. Thank you, Lord, that this church is reaching the next generation. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here. And let us each leave here today with a sense of your blessing and a sense of your peace, knowing that you're with us wherever we go. Thank you for loving us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for those who are going to kids camp. Thanks for whatever you're doing. Make it a great week and keep living for Jesus. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.